Well, good morning, everybody. Glad you're here. Happy Thanksgiving. It's post-Thanksgiving, so it's like now all the Christmas music's on every time you go in the store. You're going to have that for a month, so get used to it. Um, and uh, we, we went to Lowe's yesterday, and um, we're looking at getting some new carpet, and the guy at Lowe's was like, yeah, this time of year kills me because I know for the next month it's going to be the same revolving song like all the time. It's on a loop. He's like, by the, by the end, he's like, I like Christmas, but the music kills me. Like, I'm just done, you know. Uh, we are in our series in 2 Corinthians. Our series is called The God of All Comfort. And the reason we named it that is because it came straight from the book. 2 Corinthians says, praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And so it's a good time of year to remember that God is our comfort. It's why he sent Christ, that he hasn't forgotten us. If Christ came the first time, then God is going to come again. Jesus is going to come back again. And we can take comfort in the fact that he is who he says he is, that there is a plan, that, that we're not forgotten, that there's new mercies, as we mentioned earlier, every day for us, the Bible says. Um, one thing I want you guys to try to watch before the end of the year is this movie called The Insanity of God. Talked about this briefly last week, but this is going to come up again this week because we're going to be talking about weakness, which you see at the bottom of the slide there. But um, you can watch this for free if you just give them your email. You can watch the video. And uh, it's just a movie about missionaries that we supported for 13 years through our missions partners who went around and interviewed over 600 persecuted Christians around the globe. And it's their stories. It's the story of them as missionaries and how it impacted them to see how God uses our weakness and uses the persecuted church to really show us our hearts and to show us his heart for his glory and for his people. And so if you haven't seen that movie, I think you should watch it. It'll help you understand chapters 10, 11, and 12 of 2 Corinthians a lot better uh, as we dive in this morning. Now, as we finish up the book over the next couple of weeks, <clears throat> a couple of things you need to remember is that Paul is coming to the end of this book. He's been encouraged by the Corinthians because of their response to his earlier letters. They've repented. They're trying to figure out how to be a church. They're trying to figure out how to love him. They're trying to figure out how to do what Paul has asked. And Paul says, look, I am super comforted by this that you guys are responding to want to be givers. He talks about that in chapters, in chapter 9 and 10, that they're, they're wanting to send an offering to the church that's being persecuted, right? And before they were trying to keep it to themselves. But at the end of the book, he's still writing to them in the last part, and he's saying, look, there's still something that's a huge issue. And that huge issue is you guys are not being comforted by the right people. You're finding your comfort in false prophets and false teachers. And they're saying comforting words to you, but they're not God's words. They're false prophets. They're false teachers. And we know from the book of Jeremiah that it's the false teachers and false prophets that always say peace, peace, and always promise the temple, the temple, right? That, that things are going to be fine. You're going to be comfortable. There's going to be a temple. There's going to be peace. And Jeremiah's like, that is not God's promise to us here. It is for eternity, but not here. And so the last few weeks, remember, Paul talked about he had to boast. And he talked about that your boast should be in the Lord. He talked about how to commend ourselves to God and to allow Christ to commend us. And he's saying, you know, hear how the false prophets and the false teachers boast and commend one another. But this is what God does. Last week, we looked at the fact that What's the difference between being a fool for Christ or just being a fool? And he's like, the false teachers and the false prophets can't stand being foolish. They want to look like they're not foolish and they have all the answers. And Paul says, I'm a fool. Look at my life. Look at the mess that God has put in my life. The things that seem terrible and the foolishness of the gospel we looked at. This week, Paul is continuing, continuing on these same themes for about three chapters and this week, we're going to look at weakness. Weakness. Let me ask you, what's your weakness? What's your kryptonite? As Superman goes. Like, what is, what is your weakness? 
And do you think that that weakness is actually there for your benefit? Or do you think that if you just work hard enough and try harder that you can eliminate it? Because what Paul's getting ready to go into in this 12th chapter, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 12, is he's saying, look, here's the boasting and commending. Here's what fools look like. And then he says, and let me tell you, I'm going to show you that I'm going to boast and commend others in their weakness, which looks like foolishness to the world, but it's to the glory of God. And this is the thing that the church today is horrible at doing. We do not know how to rejoice and commend and boast and find comfort in our weakness. And this morning, you're going to learn how to do that. We're going to walk through Paul's words. If you've got your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians 12. We'll go through verse 1 to verse 13. It says this, It is necessary to boast, but it is not helpful. But I will move on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who was caught up into the third heaven 14 years ago when he was in the body or whether he was in the body or out of the body, I don't know, God knows. I know that this man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, God knows, was caught up into paradise. He heard inexpressible words, which a man is not allowed to speak. I will boast about this person, but not about myself, except of my weakness. For if I want to boast, I will not be a fool because I will be telling the truth. But I will spare you so that no one can credit me with something beyond what he sees in me or hears from me, especially because of the extraordinary revelations. Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, Paul says, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So because of Christ, I am pleased in weakness, in insults, in catastrophes, in persecutions, and in pressures. <laughs> For when I am weak, then I am strong. I have become a fool. You forced it on me, he says to the church. I ought to have been recommended by you since I am in no way inferior to the super apostles, the people they were listening to, these false apostles or even the other apostles, even though I am nothing, Paul says. The signs of an apostle were performed among you in all endurance, not only signs, but also wonders and miracles. So in what way were you treated worse than the other churches except that I personally did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. Forgive me for not helping you be weak, Paul says. So as you dive into this passage, this is one of those passages in Scripture that can be incredibly encouraging, but often it ends up being very discouraging. Because if you don't believe what's true about Scripture, then this passage seems very strange. If you've listened to false teachers and false preachers your whole life, then this passage really doesn't make much sense. Because you're expecting things to get better. You're expecting the world to, to get better. It's almost like people who think that we're going to present Jesus one day with a better earth. And he's going to come back and we're going to be like, look at how great we've made things for you. And the book of Revelation, I don't know if you've read it. We preached through it like about a year and a half ago, two years ago. It doesn't end that way. Jesus has to come back in the book of Revelation because it's gotten so bad, no one's repenting anymore. No one's willing to be weak and glorify God. They all think they're awesome and they're all getting along and the world is unified around a false leader and Jesus is like, it's time to come back and finish it. And yet we keep thinking, we're just going to make the world a better place. That doesn't mean we don't try to make people better. It just means that be careful you don't fall 
for the false comfort of if things are going well, if things are comfortable, then I must be doing the right thing. I must be strong because the world says I'm strong and things look strong. Paul's like, be very careful with that. We look in 2 Corinthians 10.17. This is where Paul said earlier, so the one who boasts must boast in the Lord. For it is not the one commending himself who is approved, but the one the Lord commends. In other words, are you, do you boast in the Lord? Do you find your identity and your commending in the Lord? Are you constantly looking for someone else to commend you? To make you feel better? To tell you how great you are? Do you know what this book says about you? God's love for you? His kindness to you? The reality of a broken world, but what he says is true of those who are believers, that he is bought with a price and adopted as his children. If you don't know that, then you're going to fall for the wrong commending and you're going to boast about the wrong things, Paul says. In chapter 11, he goes, I repeat, no one should consider me a fool, but if you do, at least accept me as a fool so I may boast a little. In other words, they're like, you accept all these other fools. Well, if you consider me a fool, at least give me the ability to speak like you let these idiots speak. Is <laughs> basically what Paul's saying. He's like, give me a chance to, de to, to defend God to you instead of just saying, Paul's an idiot, don't listen to him. When you're listening to these false teachers because they tell you what you want to hear, and you're like, ooh, I like that, but I don't like this. Then Paul goes on and he says, who is weak? In verse 11, he ends chapter 11 with who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to stumble? And I do not burn with indignation. In other words, I stumble because I just get so frustrated and angry. I'm, I'm like indignant. He says, if boasting is necessary, he says in the end of chapter 11, I will boast about my weakness. How many of you boast, don't raise your hands, this is a rhetorical question, I don't want somebody to elbow you next to you, like you do not. How many of you actually boast about what you're weak in? Do you look at another person and you're like, I don't do this well. I struggled with this for a long time, but there are things in my life that I have come to a place of boasting in. I don't get as frustrated, I'm not as indignant as I used to be. For example, if I'm giving you directions, you are really lost. I mean, I mean, you are lost at a level because I am terrible with directions. Like, I, I'm awful. I, I don't know north, south, east, and west unless the sun is going down west or the sun is coming up east, okay? If it's straight up, I'm like, I don't know. Like, I don't know north, south, east, west. I get lost. Susan will go to sleep on a trip and the GPS is on and I just ignore it because I'm used to ignoring female voices in my home to my own demise. Just saying, I had four women in my house and a lot of talking and I just kind of tune it out because I'm going about life. That's a wrong thing to do. I'm not bragging. That's a weakness, okay? And we could be 20 miles past the exit and Susan wakes up. She's like, where are we? I'm like, I don't know. I'm having a great time driving along, listening to the Lord, looking at the scenery. God is good. And we're 20 miles out of the way one direction, which means we're 40 miles out of the way. Like, it, and I used to get really mad about it and frustrated. And now I just recognize like, I this is, no, I, I can't fix this. I've tried everything. I am, I even second guess the GPS when it like tells you things. I don't know, am I supposed, I, yeah, I, and I miss exits. Like it is such a weakness for me. And I used to get really mad and now it's like, no, I need other people to navigate. God wants me to listen to others. He, he wants me to know, Matt, you can't get from point A to point B. And you know what that does from a pastoral standpoint? It humbles me because I have to lead you guys spiritually. And when I'm reminded of the fact that I'm a disaster when it comes to directions, it checks my heart on how I'm leading. God has purposely given me this thorn, this weakness that we'll see in a minute like Paul had, so that I can be better for him and depend on his body, the church, instead of making myself a false prophet, false apostle, that I have all the answers and I am Christ. No. That's exactly what Paul's writing here. You see, do you boast and commend others in their weaknesses? 
Would you tolerate someone really being grateful for your weakness and coming up to be like, I mean, I'm so great you're weak in this area. You'd be like, what? Ouch, that hurts. No, it's great. Because then I get to help you and we build a relationship together. It's wonderful. And you're like, no, I want to fix that area of my life. Yeah, I don't think it's going to get fixed. That's why I'm here. I'm here to help you. You know this in marriage, right? Like, I'm here to be your helpmate because you're never going to get this right. Praise the Lord. Like, this is the beauty of God and his church. But we don't talk about this. We have books and books and volumes of shelves of books that are trying to get you to be stronger and fix your weaknesses instead of saying, you know what, that is a weakness. I've tried, I've prayed, I've done these things, but I just need to admit it and lean into the body of Christ for its strength so that my weakness doesn't become a sickness in the body. Does that make sense? And that's exactly what Paul goes on to say. He goes on in 2 Corinthians 12, 1, he says, boasting is necessary, but it's not profitable. Like, like boasting is necessary, but we all know that when people are boasting about how strong they are, you're just like, your eyeballs roll in the back of your head, right? But someone who's really strong and really capable, who's constantly giving credit to his teammates, who's constantly saying, no, it's the team, it's these other people, those are the people we highly regard and respect. Listen, Tom Brady knew that he constantly, people don't know this mostly about Tom Brady, what makes him one of the greatest is not his skill and talent. What makes him one of the greatest was that he was constantly restructuring his contract so that he could get players to play with him, specifically linemen to protect him. People don't know that. Tom Brady was often not the number one paid quarterback in the NFL. He didn't care about that. He cared about championships. And so he would make sure that he took care of his linemen and took care of his teammates, even though he knew he was the GOAT, the best that ever played the game. Like, he knew that. It wasn't a question, but he knew that there's no way I can be good if I'm on the ground looking up. There's no way I can be good if I've got people out there who have butterfingers and can't catch a pass. I need strong people because I can't block, throw the pass, run down the field, catch it myself, and score a touchdown. And yet in the church today, that's what most people are selling to Christians. You can do it all. You can be it all. God wants you to, to be everything. He, no, he doesn't. He just doesn't. And we need to learn that boasting is necessary, but we should be boasting about Christ's strength and our weakness, he says. Because if we don't, then the boasting isn't profitable. Here, here's a quote. I normally don't do this, but here's a quote. Take a picture of this. Think through this today. Boasting and commending is necessary to deal with fools. Right? Some, I'm so great. Well, now you're going to have to boast about how they're weak. Right? Because they're a fool and you've got to humble them. And then he says, but do not, this is for me, but do not expect fleshly and worldly results because you will be boasting in your weakness and God's character and his comfort, making you look like a fool. See, these last three chapters, this is how it works. Boasting and commending is necessary. We commend one another in the Lord. We boast in the Lord to deal with fools who are boasting about themselves. But don't expect fleshly and worldly results. Don't think that by doing that, it's gonna be better for you than Jesus. Jesus was really good about boasting and commending his heavenly father. And where did we put him because of it? On a cross. Shut up, we don't wanna hear that. We don't wanna hear this die to yourself. We don't wanna hear any of this message. And we crucified him, all of us together, all the Jews, all the Gentiles, all the Romans, everybody's like, kill that dude. And his disciples abandoned him because they didn't like the message. But he says, again, your boasting is going to be in God's character and the comfort you find from him. And if you do that, then you'll look like a fool. Because they're like, every, the world's trying to pat everybody else on the back and you're trying to pat God on the back and tell how great he is. And we looked at last week that the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. You see... What's remarkable, remarkable about Paul is that what he boasts about, the world would 
and never boast about. Paul's boast in these chapters is about his hardships, his beatings, his fastings, his imprisonments, his stonings, his shipwrecked dangers. He even includes, last week we looked, Paul includes the most embarrassing moment of his life that looked like his ministry had collapsed because they had to smuggle him out a window because they were going to kill him because his ministry was going so poorly and badly. He says that is the most impressive thing and he tells the whole story about it that's written about in Acts. And how that story caused him to be weak, which means he had to depend on God's strength. And Paul, after he's lowered out of the window, disappears for years. There's no stories about him planting churches. There's no stories about him doing great things. He's literally working as a tent maker, making money, serving the church, waiting for the call of God to start his missionary journeys for years Anyone seeing that would have said, oh, he got lowered out of the window. Yeah, he said he was an apostle. Oh, he said he was going to go reach the Gentiles. Look, Paul's still making tents. What a loser. And Paul's bragging about it and saying, no, that's exactly what I needed to humble me. You see, he goes on and Paul said, he even says that Jesus himself was the one that taught him. We pick back up in 12.1 and it says, it's not profitable. There's a comma there says, boasting is necessary, it's not profitable. In the Greek, it's kind of a play. And what I mean by that is Paul is making a connection point to boasting in a worldly way is not profitable, but then there's this comma here, and we're not sure where the comma is supposed to be in Greek. But it's a beautiful play on words because he says it's not profitable, but I'll move on to visions and revelations. So he's like, boasting in the world's way is not profitable. You know what else isn't profitable? Visions and revelations. They're not profitable either. Not in the way you want them. See, everybody wants a vision from God, a sign from God. Everybody wants like some kind of revelation, like God's got to prove himself. The God of the universe has to prove himself? Like, like think of you telling, like that's like you walking up to the president of IU and saying, I don't believe you're the president, I'd prove it. As a student, yeah, prove, prove that you're the president of IU. I take you on, really. You, you, you as a measly student are going to take, yep, I'm taking him on. I'll show him. That's not going to go well for you. It's going to go very badly. You might even be committed to an instant, mental institution if he works hard enough. Be like, this guy doesn't think I'm the president. I got a sign that says the president. It's my got documentation. It's all right here. And this kid's running around telling people I'm not the president of IU. I think he's got a mental condition. We need to commit him. But people will do the same thing with God. And so Paul says, look, people want to be boasted about. They want to be commended. And it looks foolish. You know what else looks foolish? Looking for signs and wonders and revelations. You just look like a fool. Like if you were to do that in your family and you're looking at your mom and dad, well, my mom and dad, you know, they don't give me money and buy me a new car and give me a house and do all this stuff. Well, they're dead to me. If someone came up and said that, you'd be like, you're awful. Like, you're nothing. Your parents had you by the goodness of their soul. They allowed you to be born and didn't kill you. You're, you're weak. And yet we have this pride. And Paul's saying, look, the, the false apostles like to boast and false teachers and commend, right? The wrong way. Here's what else they like to do. They love to use visions and signs and wonders the wrong way. They love it. And you know what? The people love to hear it. Look at what Matthew says. Jesus says this multiple times in the Gospels. He says, verse 12, 38. Matthew 12, 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But Jesus answered them, An evil and adulterous generation demands a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. What's the sign of the prophet Jonah? The sign of the prophet Jonah is that Jonah was dead in the belly of a fish for three days. He was spit out on the land. And then instead of going, because he didn't want to go to the Gentiles and spread the gospel around the world, he wanted it to just stay with the Jews. And so the sign of Jonah was the idea that someone was going to die, come back from the life, and then go preach the gospel to the world about who God was. 
Jesus is like, that's the sign you're going to get, but you won't like that sign. You won't like someone coming back from the dead. You won't like a sign of someone dying for you. No, 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 no. Because if Jesus dies and says, I'm trusting God for a resurrection, it means we don't get out of death either and we have to trust God for a resurrection. And I really don't want to die and suffer. So check Jesus and Christianity off. Let's go find a different religion. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. He's like, I'm going to give you the greatest sign ever. Dead three days, come back to life, and then the world starts repenting and coming to know the God of Israel. And you will ignore it. He goes on, look at this. So the Pharisees and Sadducees approached him. And as a test, asked him, this is another time they do this, the second time, show them a sign from heaven. Jesus responds, you know how to read the appearance of the sky, but you can't read the signs of the time. An evil and adulterous generation demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Like, you want signs and revelations. How many more signs and revelations do you need? We have a whole book full of them. Tons of them. We, we don't need anything else. We have more than enough to wrestle with right here. And we're like, no, that's not good enough. I need a real sign and a real revelation just for me. Because God owes that to you? Well, these false prophets and teachers were running around saying that's exactly what God's going to do. He's going to give you a sign. He's going to give you a revelation. He's going to, he's going to, he's going to versus how about you going to? Because he's the God of the universe. Jesus goes on to say this in Luke eleven twenty seven. As he was saying these things, this is another time, a woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, the womb that bore you and the one who nursed you are blessed. This woman's Catholic. No, not really. But like, she's acknowledging Mary, the blessed one. She's like, oh, oh, your mother and the people who grew up with you, they, they, they must be so proud of you. This is amazing. You know, she's trying to like flatter Jesus, right? And the people in his life and get in good and, you know, look at the signs. Your mother was born and you were born from a virgin, right? Like, oh, this is amazing, the signs and the wonders. This woman's trying to impress Jesus with boasting, commending, and signs and wonders of a virgin that will conceive. Look at Jesus' response. He said, even more those who hear the word of God and keep it are blessed. More than Mary who saw an angel and a vision and had the God of the universe. More, more than all the other things, no, no, the people that actually just listen to God and do what he says because he's God and they love him, they're way more blessed than my mom. So it's not about the blessed Mary, it's about the blessed surrendered servant. You, me. This is one of the reasons why Protestants broke away from the Catholic Church. They had made Mary into what this woman was trying to do. And Jesus put her in her place and put it in the, no, that's not, my, it's not about my mom. It's not about any of that. It's about you just being obedient without a sign, without a wonder, without an angel appearing to you. That's amazing. People who can find that in their heart, that word blessed will find happiness. That's what the word blessed means, happy. You want to find happiness? Believe God and obey him. Believe you're weak and he is strong. He goes on and he says, and the crowds were increasing. And he began saying, this generation is an evil generation. It demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. He's getting the megachurch. The crowds are increasing. They're coming to see the healings and the miracles and the feeding of the 4,000 and the 5,000 and everything else. And Jesus is like, hey, hold on. Yep, you're all evil. Just thought I'd let you know. Love you. How many of you want to die? Okay, good. You're in. You're in. You'll be resurrected. Glad we're good with that. And he kept doing this, and the crowds just kept disappearing. And the church today won't do it. We won't call people to the death of themselves. We won't call our leaders to the death of themselves. 
We need to call one another to the death of ourselves and our weakness so that his strength can be perfected and be made glorious. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying the sign of Jonah is a guy that reluctantly doesn't want to do what God says. God goes, takes him through a process of killing his flesh and then resurrects him. He does what God says, still with a bad attitude, and God still uses it as God's strength to reach the world and change the entire nation of Assyria and Nineveh. Welcome to the Christian life. I don't know if that's your experience. That's a lot of my experience. I don't want to do this, God. And then God puts me through an experience. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Fine, I'll do it. And then I do it. And then after I'm done, I'm like, I'm not glad I did it, right? And then God eventually changes my heart over time. You see, miracles and personal experience is nothing, Jesus is saying, compared to surrendering and worship with obedient people. And we keep looking for the miracles and signs and wonders, and God's like, I'm just looking for people who want to have a relationship. I'm not looking for somebody that's like, well, do you have a million dollars? Because I'm looking for a million-dollar husband, million-dollar wife. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a sugar daddy, sugar mama. That's, that's what I'm looking for. I need to see your bank account. That's what we do today. I'm looking, here's my list of things that you need to measure up to, just checking. And we don't even ask, like, their spiritual condition. What about their spiritual condition? Do they know their weaknesses? Do they know their strengths? Do they, like, do I know my weaknesses and strengths? Oh, no, no, no. It's just you met a list of criteria that, that I've been looking for these signs, that this will be the sign that they're the right one. She's the right one. It'll be a sign. Maybe it's just your friends, and then all of a sudden you're like, hey, you're a friend, I'm a friend. You want to be more than friends? Sure, okay. Let's do a more friend thing. Well, how do we do the more? Well, you got to be married to do the more friend than friend thing. Oh, yeah, that's right. So let's just wait to be married so we can do the more than friend thing. Well, I don't know if I'll enjoy the more than friend thing. Well, if we don't, we'll still be friends. Have you ever heard that before? No, we don't talk about it that way. But that's exactly what Paul's laying out. It's the death of ourselves and the resurrection of God. He goes on to say, I know a man in Christ. Listen, I love how Paul does this. You're, this is going to shock you, so tune in. Paul is talking about visions and revelations, right? And then he goes into this passage that so many people have argued about for so long. And it's, it exactly proves Paul's point. That I'm going to share this with you and all of your minds are going to start running. Like, oh, what's this? A third heaven. What's this, what does this mean? And you're going to miss the rest of the message about your weakness. Because you're worried about a sign and a wonder that doesn't make any sense. Because that's what we do. We read something, we're like, oh, like, I don't know what this means. I got to ask everybody about this verse. What about the 10 before it and the 10 after it? I don't know. I just, I got to have an answer. No, you don't. You don't have to have any. Your answer could be simply, I'm God, you're not. Have a good day. I love you. Paul goes, I know a man in Christ. So this guy is in Christ. He's saying this person follows Jesus who was caught up into the third heaven. There's a third heaven? 14 years ago, 14 years ago, oh my. Whether he was in the body or out of the body, in the body or out, what does that mean? And then he goes on, he says, I don't know, but God knows, oh, ooh, mystical. And then he says, I know that this man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, but God knows, ooh. And then he says, was caught up into the paradise, oh, the paradise. And then he says, he heard inexpressible words, which a man is not allowed to speak. What did he say? Well, he heard inexpressible words that no one can speak. Yeah, but what were those words? They were inexpressible words that the man didn't understand that he doesn't know how to speak. Yeah, but I bet you we could figure it out if we try hard enough. Paul is writing this, and the first thing that he goes to is he's like, look, I'm giving you this, this sign that those, you know, because I, I know you're tuning in now. The Corinthians are like, ooh, a cool story. Oh, and Paul's talking about this, and the fact that we get caught up in it is proof of our problem. Paul waits 14 years to say anything about this. Paul has not spoken of this for 14 years. This is the first time in Scripture he mentions this Wow, paradise, third heaven. Ooh, you'd think that Paul would have had this vision and like today with our false prophets, he would have wrote a book. 
And then that book would have became a movie. And then that movie would have put him on a preaching tour. And then he would have started a church on that preaching tour. And then he would have started churches off of the churches because this is the church of the third heaven in paradise. And we speak unexpressible words here that you know what else other churches have that you need to come tune into. Because that's exactly what our modern churches do. And it's garbage. And Paul's doing this on purpose to say you'll listen to this bozo garbage and you won't just tune in to God. Paul's like, you think you want signs and revelations? He's like, I've had tons of signs and revelations. And he says, you ready for this? I don't even talk about them. I've been sitting on this sign and revelation for 14 years. Don't even talk about it. You know what's also amazing? We find out that Paul is writing right here in the third person. He's talking about himself. He's tricking him. He's playing a little trickery. In verse 7, you see that he's the one, when you read the Greek, that he's the one that had the revelation, most likely. And he's playing a little trickery here to say, I know a man. Oh, you know a man. Who is he? What's his name? And Paul's like, it's me, you moron. I just wait. I'll tell you. Like he's, you know, like, oh, a super apostle who had a vision. It was me, the one you keep telling me isn't apostle. Like you keep arguing with my apostleship, but I'm telling you about this special guy who had a revelation. You're like, I want to know that guy. I want to talk to him about third heaven. I want to talk to him about paradise. I wonder what those words were. And Paul's like, it's me. Would, would, would you like to talk to me? Oh, no, because we don't like the other stuff you say. Paul lays this out. So he, he did everything he could relating this story, we'll see in a moment, to take the focus off himself. He even speaks in the third person. So he's not like, I'll prove it. I had a revelation. And, he, and I, God revealed to me, and so now I'm called to lead because I had a sign and a wonder. No, the Bible says the people that are called to, to lead are obedient. Read the, what overseers and deacons and elders, the list of it. Not once does it say they have visions and signs and wonders in the list of qualifications in Titus and Timothy for, for spiritual leaders. Not one time does it say they had a vision or a revelation so you can follow them. Doesn't say it. Talks about how they manage their family, their money, their time, how they treat people. There's all kinds of lists of those types of things, but it doesn't say, but you got to be sure they had a vision. Like, our church is really boring. We don't have some special vision to do this church. Our vision is love God, love people. You want to know why? Because the great commandment says to love God, love people. That's it. That's all we got. It's the same message been preached 2,000 years. I don't, I don't have anything better. We don't have some special thing we're doing as a church. We're just being a family that raises up faithful people to go be a family and to serve the family of God. That's all it is. It's not special. We're not special. We're not. We're, we're just a church. We're a family. And family in itself is amazing and beautiful. But it's not like my family's better than your family. It's just a family. And God has chosen to establish this one. And we treat it as such, Paul says. He goes on to say he doesn't bother at all with, with breathless descriptions of what I actually experienced. He doesn't elaborate on any of this. He's dropping these bombs like it's no big deal. Paradise and heaven and third heaven. And, and you're like, oh, and he's like, yeah, okay, moving on. Wait, no, 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 back up, back up. What, what, what did it sound like? You may not know what the word was, but could you like make, could you mouth it? Like, yeah, yeah. That sounds like that was the word you heard, right? Like we want, Paul's like, it doesn't matter to me. I'm not going to boast about this, but I have to use this. Paul's saying, look, I have to be a fool right now and use this vision because you don't listen to anybody, any teacher that's just an obedient servant. You got to have some special vision from them. So you want to talk about special visions? I've had a lot of them. None of them had Jesus blind them on the road to Damascus, appear to him. And then Jesus is actually the one that has dictated scripture to me to write down. And it's been approved by the church. Any of your super apostles done that? He says, see, Paul is using this. By the way, you know what the third heaven is? The Jews simply believed that there was the first realm, which was this heavenly earth. Then there was the heavens, which was the sky and the stars. And then they believed that there was a supernatural place people would go. So it's earth, Mars, and then beyond, right? Right? <laughs> 
Like literally, Paul's like, I'm just, this third heaven is literally just heaven. Like you have the, the word heaven there is not talking about like another level of the actual heaven. The Jews and the Gentiles understood that they're like these three levels. There's the level of this earth, then there's the weird flying things and the space and the stars. But we know that God's even outside of that, which is the third heaven. And then he talks about paradise, and he's saying there's coming a day when it won't just be about the third heaven, but God's going to make a new paradise on earth. That's the whole New Testament story. Paul is just saying, I, look, I had this crazy revelation. You know what it is? Re revelations. It's just like revelation. Well, yeah, but you had a special. No, John wrote much better about it than I did. This is the short condensed version. <laughs> And you're going to get to heaven and angels and creatures are going to be saying things and you're not going to understand it. There's a name in heaven that only God knows for himself. The Bible says, Paul says, yeah, I think I might have heard that name. I don't know. And yet we get caught up in this. And Paul's like, see, you guys want this more than you want God. You don't want to deal with your weakness. He goes on, he says, I will boast about this person, but I will not boast about myself. I love this. He's like, I'll boast about this person, but I'm not even going to tell you it's me until you go a little bit further. Like, I'm going to boast about this person, but I'm not going to boast about me because it's not about me. It's not about you believing me because I had some special sign or revelation. And then he says, for if I want to boast, or I'm sorry, he says, except of my weakness, but not about myself, except of my weakness. I'm going to, the reason I haven't mentioned for 14 years this incredible vision, this incredible sign, the reason I haven't mentioned it is because I knew if I mentioned it, it would become about the vision and the signs and the wonders, and you wouldn't just trust me and trust God's word. So I didn't tell you about the vision. You can spot faithful people because when they get visions and words from the Lord they don't go out and try to make everybody believe their word and their vision they keep it to themselves they worship God they love him through it and they know that the gospel is foolishness and some sign or wonder or vision is not going to get people to believe any better than they did when they crucified Jesus because he stopped doing the signs and the wonders and the visions and an evil and wicked and adulterous generation wants signs and visions. And weak, wicked, evil, adulterous prophets and teachers will promise signs and visions. Does that mean God doesn't do signs and wonders and visions? No, he does them all the time. He does these things. But it's not about using that as the thing that's the strong thing that's going to prove something. No. No. Paul says, I'm going to boast about the weakness I have, not all the visions I have. Then he goes on and he says, for if I want to boast, I will not be a fool. Because I will be telling the truth about me, about my weaknesses. But I will spare you so that no one can credit me with something beyond, look at this, what he sees in me or hears from me. I don't even talk about the signs and the wonders and the visions because I want you to inspect my life. Look at how I live. Look at what I speak. It's not about special revelations. I teach the word of God. I'm taking you back to this and I don't want to confuse you with all this crazy stuff. I want you to focus on God's word. Then he says, especially because of the extraordinary revelations. I'm going to especially focus on my weakness and my need for the body of Christ because I have so many visions, he says. I have so many visions all the time from God. You have no idea how much Jesus speaks to me, how much he lets me in on stuff. And I waited 14 years to share this one. You know how many more that I'm probably never going to share with you? Because I don't want you to believe about visions and all these revelations. I want you to believe the vision, the revelation of God. It's a beautiful picture that Paul lays out. In Ephesians, Paul tells us, we are, we are his creation, created for Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we can walk in them. We're not prepared for visions and revelations and dreams. God saves us so that we can just allow the process of being changed little by little every day. Just like you, you don't like all of a sudden get a vision for how to read. It's just little by little, you learn a few more letters and one day you're reading and it's amazing. 
And yet everybody wants some miracle to fix things, which is exactly what Paul gets ready to talk about and goes on. You see, if you don't know what your leader's weaknesses are and what their struggles are, be careful of that leader. Let me say that again. If you don't know what your leader's weaknesses and struggles are, be careful of that leader. You should know what their weaknesses and struggles are. It should be obvious to the people of God. Because if it's not, then what's the problem? And I, as the pastor, and we as the leaders, should know your weaknesses and struggles. Trust me, we do. We, we do. We see them, right? And we're patient with one another. We love one another. We, we walk with one another in those weaknesses and those struggles, not try to cover them up with visions and miracles and crazy stuff. He goes on and he says in James, foolish man, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Are you willing to learn this lesson that you stop chasing all these signs and wonders and big things and emotions and all, and you're just willing to say, if I just continue to focus on him and I work in my strengths and my weaknesses for the glory of God, that's what it's about. And Paul says, that's what I'm, that's what I'm combating these fools with. He goes on in verse 7, and he says, therefore... Because I have all these revelations, because everybody wants the false teachers and the false prophets to give them these revelations and these strengths, and look how strong and wise I am. Therefore, because I have all these revelations, and because, all, because I want to focus on my weaknesses, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me, so that I would not exalt myself. Are, are you okay with a God that would do that to you? I would say that every one of us has a thorn. If the Apostle Paul was given a thorn out of anybody, I guarantee you, you got a thorn. Because if he needed one to stay humble, after shipwrecks and death and like beatings and stonings, you don't think you need a thorn? You might need five or six thorns, just saying you know, like, and, and listen, Paul says it was given to me. You ready for this? That word given is the same word when God says he's given us grace. It's the same word. It was a gift given to me. Wait, a tormentor of Satan was a gift? Yep, because if I don't have that, I'll trust in all the wrong things because that's just where my heart goes. And when all the false apostles are bragging and doing their thing, I'm going to go after them wrongly and badly. Now, we don't know what this flesh was. It was something that affected Paul's flesh. So it was something that impacted his fleshly body. We know that Paul couldn't speak very well, so it could have been that. We know he was short, right, and bald most likely. Okay, so, so that's, that's, that's probably something else. It's like his appearance is like, ugh, that's bad. That's a thorn. Ooh, bad, right? We, we also know that he had eye problems because he writes about, I had to write to you. Look, I wrote this. I didn't have Timothy write this because I wrote with big letters because I can't see if I don't write with big letters. Like, I, I need these. Like, Paul didn't have reading glasses in the day, and Paul was in his 60s at this point probably. He didn't have readers, so was Paul's thorn that he couldn't read the Bible anymore? He had to have people read it to him. He had to have people dictate for him. He wanted to write a personal letter, but he couldn't because he couldn't see. Was it a sin issue? Was it something that plagued him in sin, his pride? that, that he We don't know, and that's the beauty of God, that he doesn't tell us. Just like, you ready for this? In the great vision Paul had, it was with inexpressible words that no one knows. This thorn... Just like the great vision is inexpressible that most people don't know the depth and the pain of the thorn you deal with. Here's the glory, here's the struggle. 
And Paul lays it out and he said, it's given to me so that I won't exalt myself, that I'll stay weak and I'll remind myself that I am so dependent on God. Even though I'm an apostle, even though I have visions, even though I do all these things, I am nothing, Paul said earlier. I am nothing. I am nothing, he says. This isn't unprecedented. You want to know why I know that? Because there was another guy that was super holy. His name was Job. Job chapter 1, it says, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? I would really like it if God never talked to Satan about me that way. (laughs) I'm good with him never saying, Have you considered Matt? No, no. I'm off consideration. You no consideration. I'm good. Like Job is so righteous And God knows that Job's story is going to be the story that we read and that people would read for all of eternity for encouragement. That God is like, oh man, am I going to turn this upside down on Satan's head forever? Have you considered Job? You can take everything from him, his children. You can take his occupation. You can take everything from him. And he won't deny me. He will worship me. Because he knows how weak he is. That's why he was so righteous. That's why he was making sacrifices. Because he knew how weak he was and how weak his family was. And he was trying to glorify God in his strength. He goes on, he says, No one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity, who hears God and turns away from evil. That's what Paul said. That's what Jesus said. He's looking for obedient people. No man's like Job. He's seen so many visions. I've revealed myself to him. He's seen heaven opened. No, Job's just a really righteous dude. He's got integrity. And then he goes on, he says, Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? You've blessed his life so much. You make Job weak and watch him curse you. And then he says, haven't you placed a hedge around him? his household and everything he owns. You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he owns and he will surely curse you to your face. And Satan was wrong. Job never cursed God to his face. He cried out in his weakness. He asked for God's strength. And he had three, his friends were horrible comforters because all they did was come along and tell Job, you must have done something wrong to make yourself weak. And now you need to get better. And so here's a book, here's another book, here's another something, another something. And Job's like, I've been righteous. I don't, I've confessed everything. And if you don't think that's possible, we had a friend who did this at one time. He was going through a terrible moment in his life and in his marriage and the guy literally took post-it notes. He got himself his own apartment. There was nothing in the apartment. When we went to visit him, we sat on a floor with him. And in one room of the apartment, he took post-it notes and he wrote every known sin he could think of. And for over a year, he confessed and took down each post-it note and prayed to God that God would change him and thanked him for forgiving him. That's Job. He's in the middle of a mess and he's not thinking about signs and wonders and how to fix it. He's trying to say, God, I know I'm weak and I need your strength. So I'm going to confess all of my weaknesses to you so that you will be all I have. That's the lesson of Job. You know, spiritual warfare is something that is talked about a lot in the church to to really do spiritual warfare like you see Jesus and like you see Paul and like you see Job. You have to surrender to Jesus, who's the one who saves You surrender to him, the word and the truth, embracing that your treason requires death, but he will give resurrection. That's the sign of Jonah. You have to follow Jesus. He's the word. He's the truth. In dying, and then there is life. You have to speak to Jesus, praying the word of truth, of death and life. You have to listen to the Holy Spirit who Jesus sent to seal us and lead us into the word and the truth. We have to submit in the love of Jesus through the local church, where the Holy Spirit resides in the hearts of others who help us be accountable to the word and the truth. That's spiritual warfare 101. And we don't do it. He goes on in 1 Corinthians or in 2 Corinthians 1 Paul said this, for every one of God's promises is yes in him. Therefore the amen is also spoken through him by us for God's glory. Now it is God who strengthens us 
with you in Christ and has anointed us. He has also sealed us and given us the Spirit as a down payment in our hearts. It says that God has everything that God has is yes and amen in Him, but not on this side of eternity. When you turn back to 12, Verse 8, Paul says, concerning this thorn I had, I pleaded with the Lord three times to take it away from me. But he said to me, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. How many years do you think three times took? See, Paul was a faithful guy. I think it took years. I think Paul probably prayed the first time and said, God, I believe that you can heal this. I believe you can solve this. I know you're a God. I've seen you do miracles and I know you're going to do it. And so I entrust it to you and I'm going to get busy about doing the church work, doing what you've called us to do. And then the thorn raises back up a few years later and Paul is broken again. He's miserable again. And he comes before God and he says, God, take this away from me. I prayed and you haven't answered. And then another three years comes along, maybe longer, and Paul prays again, God, why won't you change this? Why won't you fix this? And finally, after years and multiple times of praying, God says, no, Paul, my grace that I have for you and I have for people is sufficient in this area. And I've done this so that my power can be perfected in you and in the church to others. Because power is not perfected in strength. Power is perfected in weakness. Because that's when you need the power of the Holy Spirit in yourself. And you ready for this? You need the power of the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ and their gifts to strengthen you because you're weak. That's when real power starts happening God says, and Paul knows it. You see, God was making Paul weak on purpose. It wasn't an accident. We look at weakness as like a problem. It's an accident. No, it's actually designed in you so that you don't become a little God. That's the point. James says it this way. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, but let him ask without, without doubting. You do not have because you do not ask. Well, yeah, Paul asked the first time. I bet you Paul didn't doubt that God was going to take away his thorn the first time. I promise you. I promise you Paul did not doubt. Paul was not a doubter. And I promise you that Paul asked earnestly, probably fasted and prayed over the thorn. Right? And you're like, yeah, that's what James says to do. Look at what else James says. He says, but you ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your evil desires. You want to look good. You want it to all turn out well. You don't ask for God's will to be done. You want your will to be done. And of course, this is God's will that I be strong. I shouldn't be weak. He wants everybody to be strong, right? Then he goes on and look at this in 4.15. James says later, instead, when you pray and ask for things, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. Why? Because you can't stand my grace is sufficient. You can't stand it. No. No, my grace is sufficient. And then he says, all such boasting is evil. So it is a sin for the person who knows to do what is good. And he goes on to say, doesn't do it. Wait, so Jesus said, those who are most blessed are those who obey and live. Paul says, I'm just going to obey. I'm not going to worry about signs and revelations and boasting. I'm just going to be obedient. Just obey in your weakness, in your strength. You see, the false teachers and false prophets always misuse God's name. That's what Exodus 20 says. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. Everybody wants to slap in Jesus' name on prayers like that's going to fix it. And I think a lot of times God responds back, thank you, that is my name. Yes, my grace is sufficient. Amen. No, I said in Jesus' name. And so now, since I said Jesus' name, it's going to happen. My grace is sufficient. Are you okay with that? You see, that we love to have this strength. That, and God says, I love weak people who make me look great. He goes on and says this. Therefore, I will most gladly, Paul says, most gladly boast 
all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, catastrophes, persecutions, and in pressures because of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Do you believe that? I'm telling you, this is hard stuff because the church today doesn't preach this. We're trying to get everybody fixed, everybody strong, everybody better. And Paul says, okay, that's, that's, not, that's a noble thing not to leave people in their mess. But do you also talk about the strength of weakness and the dependence on the body of Christ and one another because you're weak? Do you even talk about that? He goes on. And he says, I have become a fool. You forced it on me. I didn't want to talk about the foolishness of boasting. I didn't want to act the fool and have to give my credentials. I didn't want to share about this vision I had 14 years ago. But I have to do all this because you listen to fools. And so I have to act like a fool so you'll listen to a fool, me. So I got to act like the fool so you'll listen. And then he says, I should have been endorsed by you since I am in no way inferior to the super apostles. And then he says, even though I'm nothing. Paul considers himself nothing. He wrote half the New Testament. He's like, ah, that was Jesus doing that. It wasn't me. Then he goes on. He says, the signs of an apostle were performed with great endurance among you. Not only signs, but also wonders and miracles. Paul says, look, when I was with you, you saw the signs and wonders of the apostles. Next week, when you come, we're going to talk about what apostleship looks like biblically. You don't get to declare yourself an apostle. An apostle is someone who had an eyewitness account with Jesus and who signs and wonders and miracles were done through them. That is an apostle, biblically speaking. And Paul says, look, I did all of those things, but because of this message of weakness, the message of the cross, the message of the sign of Jonah, you refuse to let me be an apostle among you because you want to hear from the super false apostles. Paul says. Then he goes on and he says, so in what way were you treated worse than the other churches? Because see, they were saying, you didn't do as much for us as you did for that other church. They have more miracles there. You did this there, not for us. Paul's like, the only thing I didn't do for you that I did in all the churches, you ready for this, is that I personally did not burden you. He didn't take a salary. He worked tent making when he was in Corinth. He never took a dime for them for his salary. He said, that's the only thing I did was to not be a burden on you financially, to not ask you for money like all the other super apostles and false teachers keep asking you for money. And he says, you know what? I realize now that was wrong. I should have asked you to give because if I would have helped you become more weak financially, maybe you would trust God more. Ouch. <laughs> like... That's Paul's message. He's like, I should have invited you to be as weak financially as I am. <laughs> I should have invited you to be a financial disaster with me, that we barely made it. But I didn't. I chose to let you be financially blessed so that I wouldn't take from you. But now I realize that maybe that wasn't the right decision. That I tried to portray myself as strong because I don't take money from the church. And I should have been more weak to depend on you for my weakness. Because I was weak financially, I was weak and I needed help and I didn't allow you to participate and I am sorry, Paul says. Let me ask you this morning. Do you find beauty and glory in your weakness? Do you find comfort in your weakness, and then you find comfort in the strength of the people of God in your life to fill in those voids of weakness. Because God says that's what his desire is for you. 
He wants you to experience weakness so that you can be stronger than you've ever been, that you understand that your life is a series of becoming weak so that God can become strong. And that's where we find our ultimate comfort for eternity. That's the gospel message. That's the message of the Bible that's different than all the other religions of the world that are telling people, you can just be strong if you do these things. And the Bible says, you're just going to become more and more weak until Christ comes to make us strong. That's the message of the Bible that's so different. And we can't do it on ourselves. The first step in becoming a Christian is admitting, I'm weak. I'm a sinner. I can't measure up to God. I can't ever prove myself to him. God, here I am. I am weak. Please save me. Make me your child. Make me strong in you. That's the prayer. That's the sinner's prayer. That's what Paul is walking through. And so, man, as believers, we should be grateful like Paul was for when God is making us weak, for these things he places in our lives that just are these thorns. You want to know why? As I wrap up, here's why. People love to see strong people as something to try to attain, but there's nothing more horrifying than to watch someone you thought was strong fall. And then wonder to yourself, is there any hope for me? And Jesus never falls. Never. He's always strong. And that's where our eyes should be. So what's your weakness this morning? What have you prayed to God that he would take? Maybe you keep, keep needing to pray it because maybe he is going to fix that weakness. He might not. But trust him. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for your word. Lord, I thank you that in this section, Paul talks about how we're to boast and commend one another. He talks about being foolish. Lord, thank you for how he exposes what weakness and strengths are. Lord, thank you for your word that teaches us these deep truths that are obvious but are clear. Lord, I pray this morning that if anyone here has never become weak, they've never surrendered their life to you and said, God, I am weak. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I've been, I've been putting on a show. I've been acting like I'm strong. I've been trying to or I've been acting like I'm weak, but I'm really not weak in you. I pray today would be the day they finally surrender. And they say, I'm done. I want to be like Job, like Jesus, like, like Paul. I want to give my life for something bigger than myself. All they have to do is ask you to come in to forgive them. And you say that if, you, if they ask, that you will come into them and you will make your home with them. And you will do your process of killing the flesh, and resurrecting the Spirit of God in their life. And we thank you for that promise. For those of us who are believers, I pray, Lord, that we would not be content with our weakness. Paul wasn't necessarily excited about, hey, I get to be weak. He, he wanted it gone, but that we'd be willing to embrace that our weakness helps us to reach people who are weak. And it helps us to serve others who are weak in our strengths. And would we embrace that this morning, we pray in your name. Amen.